each summer, Polycarp has either been an attender or a speaker at this uh, meeting. So we've known each other for about five years, and uh, he has been such an inspiration to Sharon and I, and uh, has come to spend three or four days with us, and then he's going to be in Washington, D.C., three or four days. And so Steve graciously said, why don't we have him speak to you? He, he came to the U.S. primarily to um, uh, inform the, Christ, the, the Church of America about the persecution of Christians in uh, Nigeria. And uh, even as he came, uh, many of you may not have known that, may not even know this because our media doesn't seem to pick this up very much. Uh, but Friday morning, 2,000 Christians were slaughtered and killed in Nigeria. Uh, we saw a 15-minute spot on ABC News last night. And, um, and, and so it's, it's almost like we're immune to it. And so even though as, he, as he's coming to tell us about it, it's happening again. So he's going to be sharing the story with you. Just a quick introduction uh, Polycarp is, is a very multi-talented person. Uh, he's trained as an architect and uh, has done much consulting with theme park kinds of things, Disney uh, park uh, things in uh, Africa. Uh, he also designs large uh, auditoriums and sound systems and that kind of thing. He's a pastor. Uh, he's a musician. Um, I would almost say world-class musician. Uh, many of you would have known from the news that uh, Andre Crouch uh, went to be with the Lord on Friday. Uh, Polycarp is a personal friend of Andre, and uh, they were in touch, in fact, just a couple of days ago. So there's much more that I could tell you about him, but uh, I'm going to give him the time. And uh, Polycarp Baja... His last name is spelled G-B-A-J-A, -A -A, Baja, and uh, Polycarp, you've probably never heard somebody named that. He's named after a church father, for those of you that are historians. Um, Polycarp, please. Hallelujah. It's such a privilege. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, sometimes, or all the times when God wants to really, really bless you, he doesn't give you things. He sends people into your life. And um, I'm here because I am so blessed that God is extending that connection to people, people that make all the difference in our lives. And thank God because of people, even when within our system we cannot function, God provides alternate systems for things to work. Nehemiah was in a place where he was completely out of his system. And God had given him a job to do that was too much for a slave that did not uh, have any salary to go build the whole wall of Jerusalem. That looked crazy. But God had made arrangement. And he had other systems that could come to do it. God has options you know nothing about. And I want to thank God for the privilege and opportunity of knowing people like Jerry Regia, uh, Hal Jones, and so many other people. My life was impacted, you know, many years ago by Pastor Andrew Crouch. 
I was in high school in the early 70s, and um, I, just, I just heard, I just heard, I've got confidence, God's going to see me through. And I just wondered, who in the world is this? But about 25 years later, God gave me the opportunity to meet him uh, live in his church, and also to be invited in, to his home. In 2003, we had remained friends. From that time, I, I minister uh, in the church there in, in Los Angeles almost every two years. I was present when he uh, clocked 40 years in ministry in 2007. It was such a privilege. He changed my outlook of God from just a force to a person that I could love. He changed my view of God completely to some, a personal friend and a father and someone we can walk up to confidently. And all powerful as he is, we can still call him father. My greatest privilege is to look at the prince and princesses of God and say they are my brothers too and my sisters. And that is my greatest status upliftment from God, to be called a child of God and to be connected with his sons and his daughters across the world. I thank you for this special privilege to be able to talk with you uh, today. Earlier this year, on the 22nd, I was going out to meet a friend. And um, I was to pass by a path, and uh, I just felt definitely in my spirit not to drive through that road. Five minutes later, I was in my friend's office when I heard a huge and a huge explosive sound. The same road I would have passed by had just been bombed, the first huge bomb in Abuja, or the second bomb in Abuja. Um, about, 40, about 42 people were killed right away. I would have passed just by the place. I got back home a little bit shaken, and only to check the news, and I found that in my local government area, which is where I come from, 200 people had just been massacred. They were gruesomely killed because the Islamists feel that to shoot you with a gun was too peaceful and too nice. So they hacked people to death. Little babies, women and children. And it was a horrible sight. It was a wake-up call for me as a pastor. And I knew that we have to go beyond the pulpit of talking to people. I had to get involved with people who were being murdered and there was no government there to protect them and no special forces to come to their aid. This has been prosecuted since 1989 when the then president of Nigeria, the dictator Ibrahim Babangida, willfully and unilaterally uh, took Nigeria into the organization of Islamic states. And as a singular purpose, to make sure that Nigeria is completely Islamized. They have pursued a definite and um, a deliberate effort to do this, politically, economically, physically, to make sure that they deal with Christians, to make sure that the only thing you see when you come to Nigeria will just be Muslims or mosques. They've done that seriously. When I was chief architect of my state about 21 years ago, I had to go to a city that was completely raised down. 2,000 people were killed over two days. There's the first time 2,000 are killed in one day. 
and um, the world is watching while this is happening. It's surprising that 2,000 people can be killed in one day. It's more surprising that it just apply, appears on the footnote on CNN. Scrolled because 12 people killed in Paris have been on the news for the past five days, day and night. But 2,000 people being killed, Christians, for their faith, just deserve a footnote scrolled underneath. It's my reality. And many don't know about it. Five months ago, I came back from Geneva from a meeting with Jerry. And when this happened, I knew that I could not. I could not be comfortable. I had to get out of my comfort zones. I have traveled every week. I have traveled as much as possible, as discreetly as possible, because I could be taken out any moment. And so I had to move as cautiously as I could to various villages and local governments to try to speak to leaders. I can give you maybe what you can just take at this point in time. So I'm going to be very, uh, I will be very conservative with the facts. But what you just saw or happened day before yesterday on Friday happens almost every day. Where I come from, people are killed between the figure of 1 to 5 to 10 every week. It's not news. It's news when 30 or 40 Christians are killed, but not news when 5 are killed. And I decided to talk with uh, pastors, community leaders, civic groups, because the first their uh, uh, need was just to preserve life. We don't have weapons. We don't have guns. There is a country that is supposed to ensure that. But that's not the case, and this is not the meeting to talk about that. But our people have been made very vulnerable by a bigger agenda, and some of you know about ISIS. You've heard of Boko Haram. You've heard of, um, of Al-Qaeda. You've also heard of Al-Shabaab. All of them have a part to play, and they give both tactical, economic, and physical support. There are many that have been moved into Nigeria as missionaries. The ones that killed my people come from Niger, from Chad, and from the Sudan. In this situation, the question is, what do you do? We are not weaponized. The most we can do is to be able to gain information of movement and alert our people to run before they are killed. It's all we can do now. The people in Baga on Friday, it was too late to run. Old men and women, women and old men, women and children, they were cut down and killed. All 2,000 in a single town. The area we occupy is much more than a single town. The southern Kaduna of Kaduna State covers a population of over 2 million people. What can I do for 2 million people across who are not really being defended? There's so much money in millions pumped by Saudi Arabia and so many other Arab countries. It's too late in the day to try and raise an armed counterinsurgency. We don't even have the system or the structure to do that. In my capacity, all I can do is to hook up with a few believers and Christians who have been in the military and who have been in the securities before, who can help with the young people in the villages who could be uh, vigilantes 
give them a few training, a little training or something, just some tips on how to just be lookouts. That's all. To warn the people to skip. They have nowhere to go. You can't leave the land of your birth where you had no, nowhere else to go. Where do you run to? But you can just run out of the place just to preserve your life. My Keith and Kin were killed and murdered on the 15th of September. Another 51 people were killed in a single night where, in the city where my, par my grandparents lived and died uh, some years ago. I go through a lot of danger. Every week I travel and God preserves my life. We're not funded by anybody. I completely exhausted all my life savings. Because it will do no good if all our people die. What am I trying to keep money for? There is nothing. And um, what we tried to do was to make contact at village and local government level with some key people. And you can't get too public with that. Where we are, the Islamic system is ruthless. Anybody that stands in their way is taken out. We have to move with various, maybe seven telephones, just to be able to stay alive. But we reached our limit because there was no help, and we can't go public because we become targets. And I thought, and I said, what do I do? And I just felt in my heart that it's time to, to go beyond your system. There are people who must know they can help in different ways. They can put political pressure. They can help economically. They can help with media or legal advocacy. And the crazy part of it is that after they kill, they make a submission to the International Criminal Court that Christians have killed our people here. And we have to understand that, you know, if we don't move fast, they kill us and then they report before you get to the International Criminal Court. They've got the money to prosecute it. We don't have the money to do a lot of these things, so we got a few lawyers together to go. And when they got to Geneva, or sorry, they got to The Hague, they discovered that the ICC was preparing to come to arrest the Christians. What we're doing has to be many-pronged. There's the conservation of life. There's media advocacy. There's legal advocacy. Everything that happened before the genocide in Rwanda is taking place right now in Nigeria and in Kaduna State. What you saw on Friday is a tip of the iceberg of what could happen in the next six months. Worse than Rwanda. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm just from there. The world is still trying to get to grips with how 2,000 people, Christians, can be murdered in one day. And the world is going on as if nothing happened. Sharon just showed me the papers. And the spokesman of the State Department just said, Nigeria must, must remain focused and make sure that her people go to vote next month. Is that all it means? That we should go and vote on the 14th of February for the presidential elections after 2,000 people are murdered? What kind of a response is that? But I have a constituency called believers. Great and wonderful people God has put 
And Jesus said, be not overcome with evil, but, but overcome evil with good. Because good has the power, not just to neutralize, but to overcome evil. I believe that completely. God does incredible things with vessels that are willing. And I came here first to just simply tell a little of our story. I want to go back, as I have done for five months, and I traveled every week for five months. Our, our finances are depleted, but we felt that we can still make the world hear us. We will try. Many will die, just like 2,000 died, and a lot more will die, because in Nigeria right now, what they call the cattle or the grazing centers, which are centers for the Islamic nomads, have been fully stockpiled with the craziest weaponry, more than even the Nigerian army. They intend to use it if a Muslim is not president come February 14th. It's a short time. We just need to be able to, to move, to coordinate people right now to survive. Then we want to work on structures to engage both our government structure and other parts of the world. You need to do something for Christians in the middle belt of Nigeria. They form a third of the almost 180 million Nigerians that are packed in a space just the size of Texas. I can't reach them and we can't reach them all in four weeks. But we can communicate. We can find a way of communicating people to safety. I believe also in this great nation, there are people who will not sit still, who will make sure that their voices are heard for the voiceless people in Nigeria and in the Middle Belt, particularly, who have practically been zoned to become the collateral damage in both political and also religious war. There are two things happening. One is the jihadist, which you all know from Boko Haram. This is simply to completely overrun the country with an Islamic agenda. But there's a second group. They are the Hausa Fulani oligarchy. They are the descendants of Usman Danfodio that uh, fought jihad to bring Islam to Nigeria and West Africa. They have a more political standpoint and view and agenda, but using the same vehicle of jihad. It is a little bit on the ethnic side. Make sure that these infidels who are not Muslims are taken out. I understand that those are our concerns. People in the West can't be bothered much about the ethnic cleansing going on, but they can respond in as much as this People being cleansed are also um, principally believers because they are believers. I bring the information to you because I believe that you have various levels of engagement. You can engage politically. You can engage economically. You can engage with the media. You can engage in ways I don't even know. But I know that you need to know because when you know, you will know what to do. I can't tell you what to do. I can inform you that in the next three to six months, maybe the world will witness a genocide it never saw before, if we do nothing. It took a lot to come to this place. 
Jerry has been with me for the past three, four months, trying to arrange for me to be here. And I want to thank you for this great privilege. I know it, you've taken your time to do this. And I really, truly appreciate you. I believe there are men and women of wisdom in this place that can give us counsel and say to us some things that we could do. From my standpoint and from the little time that we have, because in four weeks, we're bracing ourselves for something else. It is not rumor. It is a fact. A stockpiling has gone on for the last four years. Even the last Antonov plane from Russia that France claimed it was sending to Chad. What was Chad doing with a cargo, the largest cargo plane on Antonov in Kano? Because this is the way they have beefed up and weaponized Boko Haram. A plane big enough to carry two helicopters inside, apart from the other things. This is our reality. I understand our limitations when it comes to military or security action, but at least I say one thing, we can communicate. We can talk with people as we have tried to do. If we can save lives, we can move to the next level of just informing people how they can engage and negotiate a better future for themselves and for their lives. Half of people in my village don't live there anymore because the herdsmen that are there have rock-propelled grenades. They came with machine guns and AAA rifles. The smallest weapon used against our villagers are AK-47s. Our people have nothing except stones and sticks and bows and arrows. They are not even educated enough or sophisticated enough to have military training. We have some old retired people, colonels in the, between the age of 50 and 65, my generation. But they have nothing to fight with. But that's what we deal with now. But in the next four weeks, by the grace of God, whatever, whatever God enables me to do, we will travel, we'll do everything that is possible to save lives. If we can do that, we will take on government later. But it will be a waste of effort trying to do that. Right now, we just want to preserve life. We want to raise a new crop of leadership. People who can do more than we can do. Young men and women that we can help train to think strategically, militarily, intellectually, economically. If we can do that over the next four years, oh, no, you can't do this in three to six months. We can try to preserve life in the next six months. But to rebuild the people, to help them, we're going to need everything we can do in the next four years. But right now, right now, right now, we're just bracing ourselves. And I just came to you to tell you, my wonderful brothers and my wonderful sisters, and I know you can do much more than I can even tell you. God bless you. Thank you. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe I could have two or three minutes when you can ask some questions. I can answer your questions. Jerry, you may do a little Q&A. Yes. Does anyone have a question? Does anyone have a question? 
the, the question Steve asks, is there any, any help from the U.S. government? Are they involved at all in, in assisting? And I know the answer, but I'll let you provide it. No. The U.S. has taken a position where Nigeria is concerned. Uh, some of it can be understood. And um, uh, where American interests are concerned, uh, you have to respect what they consider their own interest. Uh, 300 girls were taken in Chibok. I have met with the elders of Chibok because uh, during our, our independence anniversary in October 1st, I was called to pray for them at the National Square. And they linked up with me. No, uh, first of all, I think the U.S. is also exasperated because uh, our government is compromised down the middle. The security agencies are compromised along religious lines. It's a very serious fault line. That means also America does not trust that the weapons it might give will not go to the wrong hands. As much as that is, you know, they could still do a little bit more. But I know that, you know, you understand politics. There are other interests as well, and I respect that. But right now, the position of the U.S. is they're not even, they are, they've not agreed to even supply weapons to fight Boko Haram. But if you look at it on the flip side, they also want to ask. There's so much weapons that have gone in. There's so much inefficiency in the running of our security agencies. And um, what is the guarantee for this or for that? But um, right now, I think the United States uh, position is simply non-involvement. Tell us the fate of the 300 girls. Can, can you give us an update on what happened? I can tell you. It may be not what you want to hear. Many of them are killed already. They are raped every day by 10 to 15 men. Some of them have been distributed to Chad, to Niger, and to other parts. They are sex slaves to the fighters. They are traumatized beyond anything I can say to you. But many are killed. Many have given birth to children because from rape. They are slaves Apart from being sex slaves, they cook the food or whatever it is that is required by the terrorists. They are, they are under subhuman conditions. It's not a nice story. They are not coming home like people expect. Maybe someday, someday something would happen. But as I speak to you, some are dead already. And those that are alive maybe feel is they are better dead. And um, by the way, another 185 ladies or girls were captured just two weeks ago. Another 185. And every week, a minimum of 10 to maybe 50 are taken, but it's not newsworthy, is it? So that's what we are having right now. There's a crazy situation going on. I have to hold myself under control so that I remain focused to affect the little area we need to. Thank you. You have a question here. <clears throat> a good question. What does the UN say about all of this? Nothing. And you know, that was what happened in Rwanda. And very ironically, the Secretary General was from Africa. And the Canadian commander begged and begged, give me just 10,000 troops. It will, we will stop this. 
Give me more weapons. We will stop this. They would not. I was in Rwanda 2009. My host built the, or designed the mausoleum in which lay 200,000 bodies. I spoke to the archbishop and the people of Rwanda. I felt the pain of a lady that got up to look at me when I spoke on forgiveness because her entire family was slaughtered and she was actually cut, left to die. She woke up with all her family on her dead body, on her body. I've been there. And when that happened, they asked, why did you leave us alone? The world had no answer then. In November, a friend of mine went to Geneva to present a paper to which I contributed on what I just said to you now. When she finished her submission to 100 nations on the 23rd of November, 2014, there was not a single comment made. She walked up to the chairman, sir, I just told you of something impending. How could this summit in Geneva of 100 nations have nothing to say? And Rwanda is about to happen in Nigeria. He said nothing. She returned home. That's how much United Nations has said. Polycarp, uh, what does this have? Does this have anything to do with, with the world's um, reticence to uh, uh, say or do anything against uh, Islam at this point? It, it, does that enter into everybody being so quiet? First of all, I want to put this in perspective with biblical prophecy. For things that are happening right now, I think by now you understand that it is not a local event. Boko Haram in Nigeria is part of a bigger plan that is global. They are all linked together. When ISIS made the statement, we will operate without borders, you understand it has moved into the realm of the spiritual. And you know it's more than just political. And first of all, the senselessness and the, the sturdiness and the gruesomeness of what is happening. I think, first of all, the world is in a bit of a shock to watch people being beheaded and so much being said. It's in scripture. You go to the book of Revelations, 18:19, and talks about the beheading of the saints of God and the people that moved like a horde coming in. In biblical prophecy, we can see a pattern beginning to form. This is a global movement. This is definitely a bit of the Antichrist coming in. There's so much that is happening that we have to see beyond a local event emanating from the Middle East. But the answer, the answer is not silence. The answer is getting up with boldness to stand against it with everything God has given to us, spiritual, political, economic, social, we must rise up and fight. Jesus said we are the salt of the earth. We're here to preserve it. But he also said we are the light of the world. And last year I, I got a little insight onto the world, the light of the world. He didn't say you are the candle of the world. The light of the world is only, what is the light of the world? Can somebody tell me? It's not a candle. It's the sun. And the lowest experience of the sun is illumination. You understand that the sun has mechanical power. It has electromagnetic power. It has 
all the powers that sustain life and power, what happens on the earth? The light of the world, the sun, is representative of energy that moves in every sphere of life. And when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, he referred to us compared to the sun's effect. Illumination is light. So you can speak and illuminate people with knowledge. But the sun does more than illumination. It's powerful. It has impact on life, on motility, on energy in the earth. We are called to be just that. It just simply means we are a lot more loaded than we imagine. I'll leave that for you to think. Over here. I could do that, but um, I would rather speak, and I would rather you say amen to what you understand. <laughs> if um, I, I would love that a lot. I could, but it wouldn't mean much, because um, this room is full of energy that the Bible says if, that one shall put a 1,000 to flight, but two shall put 10,000 to flight. What would 200 people do? And you know what? I take this opportunity special. If I pray with the people in this place the level of energy that will be released, considering they are the son of the world, things are not going to be the same. So if you would let me, my sister, I love you. You look so wonderful. Allow me to pray in a way that you will understand and say amen to. Yes, ma'am. Nigeria is probably one of the most churched nations in the world, institutionally. It's one thing to have institutional church. It's another thing to have believers. God doesn't call anybody a Christian. He calls us believers. And um, we have a lot of institutions that have many people inside. It's another thing to have people that, that live by the word of God. We have many churches, huge churches, Churches that sit 8,000 on a Sunday morning, as huge as this entire place. We have many. But we have situations, and what I would call the crisis, a crisis of identity, a crisis of purpose, a crisis of knowledge. Hello? And those are the things that are happening with us, and uh, there's so much killing going on, and what is most deafening is the silence from the church that have been cowered. And sadly, it's the same everywhere where people are looking for power but using the vehicle and structure of church. Jesus went out of the synagogue to impact community life on the streets and in the marketplaces. We stayed in our cozy, comfortable churches. We spent all the time in corners ostensibly praying and we won't stand 
to defend the cause of people on the street. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Top on the list, God was addressing the issue of poverty. Is the church doing that today? He says, to heal the brokenhearted. You can't even see the senior pastor. You got to book an appointment for weeks to see him. How do the brokenhearted get healed? He says to give sight to the blind. These things are happening. We won't even go to read to know the truth so that we can give light and information to people. It says to preach deliverance to the captives, people held down by habits and practices. That's what the church is meant to do so. And then it said another thing. He said to set at liberty them that are oppressed who can't help themselves. We were meant also to be champions for people. Not held down by habits, but held down by systems and structures. Too much for them to fight. And sometimes we need to get out there in the political arena. Get out there in the social arena and stand for people. To say, no, you cannot kill. You can't hit these people. I have had to mobilize people and tell them, get the young people out with sticks and bows and arrows with anything you have. I have called security men and I said, if you don't move the people from the capital, these people will die, but God will deal with you. And they don't want to hear a curse from a pastor. I use everything in my power to save lives. And you got to step up, and you have to step forward to do that. Oh the church has a lot way to go. Yeah. Our, our time is up. We're on a new schedule. And, That's right. Uh, and so... Uh, let me tell you that uh, myself and Sharon uh, will be with Polycarp. We're going to probably have the brunch after the worship service. If some of you want to come by and say hello and join us for a, a, some, some meal, please do so, and you can ask some questions. Um, Close the time in prayer. Thank you very much. Can we just stand together and let us pray together? My Father, I want to thank you. What an awesome privilege you just gave me with the daughters and the sons of the Most High God. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the energy in this place. Thank you for the power even in this place. Most of all, Father, thank you for your presence in this place. You ordained this meeting. Help will come out of Zion. Help will come because also God is not limited. You got options we don't know anything about. I thank you for this special opportunity. I have spoken my heart to your people. But I thank you because of your spirit in them. You will move your people to do what they need to do of their own volition and free will. Thank you, Holy Spirit, because you will constrain your people to know what to do. For their brethren in Africa who cannot help themselves at this moment. We understand, my father, the agenda of the enemy is, is very basic. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. You came that we might have life in all its fullness. And therefore, my father, by the anointing you have given to us and the mandate you have given to us, I come against the forces of darkness and the principalities across this globe that have arisen against the saints of the Most High God. For I know, O oh God, 
the blood of the saints that has been shed shall not be in vain. You have heard, for their blood cries out to you. You have not only heard, you are working on this yourself right now. For vengeance is yours. You will repay, says the Lord. The arm of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save. If you need to, you will collapse the systems across this globe. We stand today, O oh Lord, and we ask you, intervene on the affairs of men in Nigeria in the name of Jesus. We arrest this onslaught against our brothers, the slaughter of men, women, and children. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we raise the standard of the Holy Spirit of the Most High God against the spirit of Islam in Nigeria, in Africa, in the Middle East, in every part of this earth. We raise a standard in the name of Jesus. We declare, Heavenly Father, at this time, a collapse of their system. Unite your people together. Let wisdom and unction be released to your people. That, O oh Lord, we shall rise with your strategy and your instruction to do what must be done now for Nigeria, for Africa. To do what must be done at this point in time, O oh Lord, in the globe. The kingdom's system is superior. We ask you, O oh Lord, right now, set up that structure and cause your will to be perfected even at this time. We pray for the 2,000 people that were killed on Friday. For the families of these people of the city of Baga raised down because they call upon the name of the Lord. Let their blood not be shed in vain. Gather your people together. Father, bring together your system across the whole of the globe that will arise and rout the system of the enemy and of the devil in the name of Jesus.